as we gathered this morning, um, we realized that people come from all different circumstances and situations, things going on in their lives that uh, in some cases seem impossible, and yet you call us here together today to encourage one another and to love one another and to hold each one another up. And Lord, we can't do this on our own. We just don't possess the ability to do that in our natural selves. So I pray, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Fill this place. Fill each of us to overflowing so that we might be able to accomplish the work that you have set before us. And if anything is good about our lives, we'll be careful to give you the praise and the honor and the glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We, we are down about 20 people that are away at Holy Spirit Weekend for Alpha, for our Alpha course, our current Alpha course. So they won't be with us today. Um, but we have uh, quite a few folks that are here for the first time today too. So um, it's amazing how God fills up the chairs one way or the other. And those of you that are first-time guests, we'd love for you to fill out that information on your Connect card if you would do that. We began last week a series for the summer on the book of Colossians. Uh, I'm calling it A Life Worth Living. I know that some of you that have done Alpha stuff and and are familiar with Nicky Gumbel know that he has a... um, series called A Life Worth Living, but it's on the book of Philippians. Um, I chose that title for Colossians study because there's a scripture in Colossians that points us to that, as you will see here when we uh, read the scripture um, in the next minute or so. Last week, we did a lot of background stuff on Colossians, and thank you for staying with us and hanging on, and I told you that this week we'd actually jump into the meat of the matter. So let's begin by reading Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. If you have a Bible with you, I'd love for you to follow along and stick your finger in that Colossians 1 spot because we're going to be going back to that um, a number of times this morning. If you don't have a Bible uh, with you. There's one on any of these little podiums here with the baskets. You're welcome to come and get one of those and use it. And if you don't have a, a Bible of your own that's easy to read, then take that with you. That, that can be a gift to you from Renovation Church. Um, all the scriptures, I think, are on the uh, screen behind us, so you can look there. But I, I just there's nothing quite like taking your Bible and, and marking it up. You know, get your magic marker out and mark it up and uh, make some notes in the, in the uh, columns there as well. So we're going to read Colossians chapter 1. 
In this church, we believe that the Bible is the infallible Word of God. It's the only standard that we have for our faith and for our life. So listen to God's Word. Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and the love that spring up from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ and on our behalf and who told, you, who told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, We have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray that, pray this, that in order you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all the power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. We're just going to look at that portion of Scripture. Last week we looked at one verse, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 2, where it says, To the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. And I told you that in the original language, it's in Christ, in Colossae. And that, that makes a world of difference to me if I'm, if I'm going to talk on this uh, uh, subject with you. In Christ at Colossae and in Christ in Colossae are two different things. So the big idea from last week was that the believers that Paul was writing to were, were believers who lived in Christ in Colossae. This insignificant little town, Colossae, that's set a hundred miles inland from the, from the uh, Aegean Sea, um, from Ephesus itself. And yet it's the most significant relationship that anyone could ever have, the fact that we are in Christ. I gave you a couple of examples, but the example that we really settled on was the two circles. Remember the two circles? I think I even put them on your handout for today. Where we are in Christ, in Colossae. We are believers in Jesus Christ, and God has put us as believers in Jesus Christ right in the middle of the world to be an influence and to make a difference. That's where you are as you go out of here. You're in the middle of the world, yet you're in Christ. You have an identity in Christ, and it doesn't change whether you're in this building this morning or whether you're 
in the place where you work tomorrow or in the school where you attend or in your neighborhood, you're still in Christ. And we're not trying to be two things at once. We're His, but we're also in the world. And Paul talks in Colossians 1 as we move on into it about how some incredible things, just absolutely incredible things can happen in our lives. Some of the things we all have to order, understand in order to live a life that is worthy and that is pleasing. Colossians 1.10, for example, says, we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way. What is this that you're filled with the knowledge of His will through a spiritual wisdom and understanding? We're praying for that, that you're going to be filled with the knowledge of His will. That's the point of this letter from Paul to the Colossians. Wouldn't it be wonderful if, if you could at some point look back on your life and say, you know that life that I lived? That was worth living. That was really worth living. Not just having fun, though, though fun is important. Not, not just being uh, ec- excited about things. Those excitement needs to be a part of your life too. But I lived a life that was worthy. Then he says, by the way, it's also a life that can be pleasing, pleasing to him. What God really wants to say to you and to me is, hey, I already love you. I love you. I don't care what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've come from, who you are, what you've seen, what you've been. That doesn't matter. I love you, and I can't love you any more than I already do. But now that I've shown my love to you, I want you to be a part of my family. I want to show you how to live the best life. I want to show you how to live a life that pleases me. And Paul lays it out in Colossians. So we live a life that's pleasing to the Lord and that's worthy of the Lord not to get him to love us, but because he loves us. That's why we live that life that's worthy. And that spills over into our lives. In this letter to the Colossians, Paul's going to show us exactly how that can work. Some particular things about how we can have this kind of life that's pleasing to the Lord. So there's some keys Last week, they were on the back of your handout. If you have that, you can use it. If not, it's on the front of your handout this week. Paul begins with a process. At least I see a process in this. Maybe, maybe you don't, but I always am trying to pull some sort of order or logic out of it. And the process is the process of faith, hope, and love. Now, 1 Corinthians 13 is probably the most familiar place where these three things are mentioned. But there's five or six other places in Scripture where those three things, faith, hope, and love, are mentioned alongside of each other. 
And in in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes to that church at Corinth and, and talks about the priority of faith, hope, and love. And he says the most important of these is love. Right. Here in Colossians 1, Paul talks about the process of how this can happen. And listen for this process as I read the Scripture again for us. Which comes first? How do they all fit together? Colossians uh, 1, verses 3 through 6. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. The faith and the love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. So what's the process begin with? It begins with hope. It begins with hope. Faith and love spring up from the hope that is in you. And hope draws us to faith. Think about it being a circle. Draws us to faith, and then faith leads us to love in a whole new way. Faith and love both spring up from hope in our lives. When you came to Christ, you came because you saw in Him a hope that you didn't have. Not some not some sort of wishy-hopey sort of hope, but an assurance, a trust that was in him that you did not have. We've all, we haven't seen all of that hope that is in heaven yet, but we know it's there. It's promised to us. When we come to Christ, we have a hope in him. And this process doesn't stop after you become a believer either. This process continues in our lives. It's still true in our lives today as believers. Faith and love spring up from hope. I know from having talked to many of you in here that some of you are trying to have faith in your life without any hope. You just live in the present day, everyday world, and you try to trust in God, all that you know how to, but you never think about eternity. You never think about the end game. You don't think about eternal things. You don't think about the reward of God's love. You're trying to have faith, faith in anything but it's faith without hope. And that faith, that kind of faith, is absolutely powerless. And you wonder why. Why isn't this working for me? Well, the process tells us why these things work together. In my quiet time this past Friday, I was reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I remember this phrase about fixing our eyes on heaven. And I remember thinking, Lord, help me. Help me because it's really hard to fix my eyes on heaven sometimes. It's hard for all of us. 
we forget. Now, I'm not saying that you have sinful thoughts. They might be, but not necessarily. You just have earthly thoughts. You're focused in on what's happening in the here and now. But Jesus has eternal hope to offer us. And Paul goes on to say something that several other people have asked me about here at church, particularly in Alpha uh, courses. He says in verse 4, we, we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and the love that you have for all the saints. Note that word saints there. I mean, does that mean some Catholic thing is going on in what he's talking about? Was he talking about the Catholic church there? No. The Bible word for saints and the word the Catholic church uses for saints are two different things. In in Catholic churches, saints mean an honored person who died and who met certain criteria, and the Pope conferred sainthood upon that person. The Bible refers to everybody who believes and trusts in Jesus Christ as saints. See, saints aren't perfect people. Saints aren't certified people. Saints are saved people. People who know Christ, people who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, people who trust in Christ alone for their eternity. And one of the things that God teaches to us in, in this uh, portion of Scripture here in Paul's letters are that we are all saints. We are all holy. We are all set apart for God's purposes. He's got something for us to do. You are set apart for God's purposes. Have you ever thought of that? You. You are set apart. Don't forget that as you head out the door tomorrow morning. And I think there's a couple of questions we ought to ask about this hope since it seems to be so important. First of all, where does, it, where does it happen? When does it happen? Verse 5 says that the faith and the love that springs up from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you've heard about already. What, what does that mean? I read that four or five times. And as I read, stored up for you in heaven, I, I thought future, you know. It's there waiting for me to come and claim it. That's the hope that's waiting for you and me and everybody else when we get to heaven. But that's not the way it's written in the original language. It doesn't lead you to think that. There's another more likely meaning, I think. The hope that is stored up for you in heaven is talking about the hope right now stored up for you. It's a picture of the fact that God has things stored up waiting for you, waiting for you to come to Him, waiting for you to call on Him, waiting for you to have faith, waiting for you to believe. And the minute we believe, those things start to be poured out into our lives that hope that's stored up 
for us. It's specifically for you and specifically for me, and it begins to be poured out into my life. That's why hope can change our lives right now, today. That's when it happens. And don't take this the wrong way. I'm not talking about some health and wealth and prosperity gospel touted by false teachers in our day. Jesus says in John 10, 10, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Now. He's not talking about later. He's talking about now. From the hope that's stored up in heaven for you. And if this hope is so important, where does it come from? How how can I get it? And Colossians, I think, is very clear about that too. Verse 5 again. The faith and the love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel. Ah, that's where hope comes from. Hope comes from the good news. Hope comes from the gospel. And that leads us to the second key in a life worth living. Paul writes about the power of the good news. That's what's happened in our lives. He reminds the Colossians and reminds us too as we read it what had happened to them because of Jesus Christ. Look at verses 6 and 7. All over the world, all over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. The gospel. Let's list some of the things that Paul says about this power of the good news, the power of the gospel. He says, you've already heard about this word of truth. It's true. The gospel is true. When you look at all the other religions of the world and their attempts to reach God or reach some other being and their ideas about who this God might be, you could take every one of those attempts and put it into a book and title that book, Guesses About God. Because that's what those other religions are. But the gospel, the good news, is the truth about God. That's why it's such good news. It's the one truth about the one and only true and living God. Secondly, it's universal. It's worldwide. You've heard about it, and it's being told it says all over the world. Don't ever buy into this movement that's going on today, this idea that the gospel of Jesus Christ is just for Western cultures, particularly just for the United States. That's a common thing we see around the world in missions today. Let's be accepting of everybody. You know how that narrative goes. Let's be uh, accepting of everybody and say, 
everybody can have their own religion depending on whatever culture they happen to grow up in. Remember, the gospel didn't come to the Western culture to begin with. It came to the Near Eastern culture. The gospel didn't didn't come to white people. It came to Middle Eastern people who happen to look a little different than us. The gospel, the good news of Christ, is for the entire world. That's why it's such good news. That's why people in Africa are just exploding with this idea of the gospel in their lives. There's not a person or a culture that doesn't need the good news of Christ. That's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. Paul says it's also growing. You've heard about it, and now it's bearing fruit, and it's growing. There's something that's effective about this gospel of Jesus Christ. Not everybody to whom you share this good news is going to accept it, though, are they? We've run into that, have we not? There are people who are going to reject it. But it's kind of like planting seeds. There's a certain number of those seeds that inevitably are going to grow. Jesus told us in a parable that 25% would. You can look around the world today and you see the same thing. The gospel is growing and it's bearing fruit. You can look around this room today and you can see the same thing. The gospel is growing and bearing fruit. And you can look into your own heart today and see the same thing. The gospel is growing and bearing fruit. That's the power of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he adds one last thing that's personal to us. The gospel is delivered by people. It's delivered by people. This true, universal, growing, effective, good news of God, the way that he delivers it, It's by people. In fact, Paul names the person here who delivered it to the Colossians. He says, you heard it from this guy named Epaphras. And I had about four pages of notes here on Epaphras, those of you that never heard of him. But briefly, Epaphras was a fellow from Colossae who went over to Ephesus, heard about Paul's teaching, went over to Ephesus, sat under Paul's teaching, liked what he heard, bought into what he heard, went back to Colossae, planted the first church in Colossae. And it's this church to whom Paul is writing the letter. And Epaphras is now in Rome with Paul, serving him in Rome. That's who this guy is. Just like Epaphras went back to Colossae and shared the good news, you need to go to wherever it is that you work to wherever it is that you interact with people, at the gym, at the, at the park, at, the, at school, at, uh, in your neighborhood, on the golf course. You need to go back to those people and share the good news. Ah, but I'm, I'm not very effective at doing this. Yes, you are. 
Yes, you are. You're a lot more effective than you give yourself credit for. And the Bible says that he told, Paul told us of your, the Colossians, love in the Spirit. Love in the Spirit. The love that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, I bring this up because um, I read through this book several times this week. I asked you to read through the, the letter to the Colossians once a week, perhaps in a different translation each week as we go through this series. I read through it several times this week, and I noticed that this is the only place that the Holy Spirit is mentioned. He told us of your love in the Spirit. I found that interesting. It's not that the Holy Spirit's not important. It's just that Paul here to the Colossians is emphasizing the person of Jesus Christ more than the person of the Holy Spirit. And then it says Paul prays for them, and as he prays for them, he prays about God's will being done in their lives. Oh, God's will. God's will being done in their their lives. That's kind of a purposeful thing, isn't it? The purpose of God's will is the last key. In verse 9 it says this, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. I mean, think of that. Paul, every time he thinks of these people, every time a face comes to mind, every time an event in that place comes to mind, he stops and prays for them. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Hmm. Through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What is, what is God's will? Most of us, when we think about discovering what God's will is, what we're really looking for is God's answer. We want to know what His answer is. We go, hey, God, here's this situation. Give me the answer. And by the way, I need it tonight because I'm really worried about what the outcome is going to be. You know. Am I going to move or... Am I not going to move? What's the city that I'm going to move to? I'll I'll get my bag packed right now. Am I supposed to marry her or not marry her? I hope it's yes, but um, if there's something I need to know, God, something that you haven't told me yet that hadn't been revealed to me, now's the time to tell me. Let me know right now. Put all the cards out on the table. Sometimes we, we try to skip from what God wants us to be and go straight to, God, what do you want me to do? We try to skip character, and we want the answer for circumstances. We want God to give us an itinerary rather than integrity. We try to skip right by that being part and go down to the doing part. And then we try to move right on to the, just give me the answer to this situation, God. Give it to me. And if you're not going to give it to me, I'll find it somewhere else, in a horoscope or in, on a hotline or 
shooting up heroin. It's going to come some way. I'll find the answer that I want. The highest kind of knowledge is the knowledge of what God wants. What God wants. Not just God's answer for a particular situation or circumstance in your life, but what does God want for my life? And God's will is so much bigger than that decision about whether I should move or not, about that decision of, well, should I marry him or not, about the decision of, what career direction should I take? That's part of God's will, yes, but, but you need to expand it. God's will is all about who He wants you to be, who He wants me to be. God's will about, is all about how He wants to develop your life and how He wants to develop my life. And when you start to expand that idea like that, the most amazing thing starts to happen. All that stuff, you know that stuff that you used to worry about? It starts to fall into place, and it doesn't matter anymore. And you often look back on it and think, why was I worried about that? With brand new believers, God often says, here's the answer brand new believer will ask God and he'll give him the answer. It's just like you with a brand new baby. And when it cries, you say, here, this is the answer. When you grow up as a believer, God starts to demand more and more of you. Instead of just doling out the answers to you when, they, when you ask, he starts to give you and me opportunities to grow. And that's what's happening now in some of your lives when you've come to me and said, I don't, I don't know what God's will is for my life. You're wondering, why won't he give me the answer? Take heart, though. That's a sign that you're really growing in the faith and you're growing in a relationship. Great, you say. I like the baby stage where I just kept getting the answers. I don't like this other stage at all. The problem is that when you stay in the answer stage, you don't grow in your relationship with God. And that's what he wants. He wants us to grow in a deeper relationship with him. You can have a baby, but they can't love you back like you love them. Not in the same way. But when that child gets older and more mature, they have a greater capacity to love back, just like you have loved them. See what God's doing? See how God's will is sometimes bigger than what we think? Verse 9 says, God wants to fill you, and what he wants to fill you with is the knowledge of his will. And as he works out that will in our lives, we see amazing things begin to happen. Verse 10 says, <clears throat> this happens in order that you may have a life worthy of the Lord 
and may please him in every way. So let's look at, real quickly, a few of the products of this life worth living. Paul says, when you and I live a life of that kind, a life that's worthy, a life that's pleasing to God, you are bearing fruit in every good work. You're bearing fruit in every good work. Great things are happening through your life. Some of them you see immediately. Some of them are a little bit slower to to be visible to you. There's a promise in that verse. Every time you make a choice of faith, it'll bear some fruit. It's guaranteed. And that's great news. So I put the the big idea under this particular um, product here. The big idea is bearing fruit doesn't come from trying harder. Got that? You don't need to try harder. It comes from trusting more. You want to bear fruit? Trust Him more. Don't try. Trust. The second product is growing in the knowledge of God. That's part of living this life that's worthy and pleasing to the Lord. I'm growing in the knowledge of God. And for some of you, that sounds pretty boring, doesn't it? Sounds like, oh my gosh, we're going back to school. I don't want to grow in knowledge of God. Part of that, yes, is intellectual understanding. More about who God is, I guess. But it's also about relating to God in a brand new way. And what could be more exciting than relating to, getting to know the God who is the creator of the universe? The third product is being strengthened with God's power. That word strengthened is in the present continuous tense. It means constantly happening. It didn't happen just once. It's constantly happening. It's happening every day in your life and every day in my life. What would be a sign that we could see of someone who's being strengthened by God's power? What would that look like? Miracles, maybe? If you're being strengthened by God's power, does that mean you'd actually be able to go out and walk on water? Or feed 5,000 people? Is that what it is? Well, look at verse 11. Being strengthened, I hope you don't get, a, uh, get disappointed. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. The sign of someone who is being strengthened by the power of God. This incredible, awesome power of God, it comes into your life, and there's two signs. You become a person of great endurance, and you become a person of patience. No bigger sign, it says, according to his glorious might. There's no bigger sign. It's not walking on water. It's not charisma or personal magnetism, it's endurance and patience. And endurance is a word that applies specifically to problems. 
Have you ever had to endure a problem? Have you ever had to wait for something to happen? When God's power comes into your life, you have the power to wait, the power to trust through a problem. And this verse tells us that that's a most incredible display of God, maybe the most incredible display that you can find in your life. And then Paul uses the word patience. Endurance applies to problems. Patience applies to people. Have you ever had to be patient with a person? Well, who hasn't? God gives you the power to be patient with a person. Even the lady over here at the DMV. That's a display of his power. We want an outward display, but the inward displays, he says, are the most important of all. Charles Spurgeon, uh, a British uh, pastor, said, By perseverance and patience, the snail reached the ark. Sometimes it's one little slide at a time on your way to the will of God. Just one little bit, one little step at a time. Being patient with people and enduring problems allows God's power to be released in our, in our lives. And that's an incredible truth. The fourth and final truth is giving thanks. Giving thanks. When I'm living a life that's worthy and pleasing to God... I'm giving thanks to Him. If you're like me, honestly, you have some days when you're, what should we call it, thanksgiving quotient is on its last nerve. I don't want to thank anybody. And you have some other days when you're so filled up with gratitude for what He's done that you're thanking everybody. Even the lady at the DMV when she's mean to you. The more I allow my heart to be filled with gratitude, the more I'm living out a life that's worthy and pleasing to the Lord. And Paul says that one reason we can give thanks, it says in that scripture, is because we're qualified. He uses that word qualified. Our names are on the dotted line, so to speak. That qualifies you. What's it qualify you for? To share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of God. You don't have to work and work and work and try to attain that inheritance. You already are qualified for that inheritance. You can't do enough for that inheritance. It's already been done for you. And you can know it. You can know for sure that your name is on that dotted line and that you'll spend eternity with Him in heaven. Let that change the way you think. Let that change the way you act. Live a life that is worthy of and pleasing to the Lord.
as we prepare for communion, prepare your hearts to be thankful to the Lord, to give Him thanks for what He's done for you on the cross. And if you're here today, if this is the first time that you've been in a place like this in a while, maybe never in a place like this, come to think of, but uh, first time you've been in church for a while, and you think, and you know, I've really screwed up my life. <laughs> I've just done some foolish, stupid, crazy, mean things. And I don't think God could ever love me again if he ever did. Let me tell you that he does. God loves you. God loves you. And those things that you did, yeah, he's disappointed in you. But it doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. He loves you because he loves you. He loves you enough say to send his son to die for you. And there's a prayer that we pray here about every week. And if you find yourself in that situation today where you're thinking, ah, how, will, how can I make this right? How can this turn around? Pray this prayer silently with me. God, I'm sorry for the things that I've done. The things that I know I should not have done. And as I speak those words, you, you're beginning to think about some of those things. Just say those things to him silently. I'm sorry for those things that I should not have done. And God, I'm also sorry for those things that I know I should have done, but hey, I didn't do them. I got too busy. My attention was here or there. My priorities changed. And God, both of those things you call sin, the things I didn't do that I should have done and the things that I should not have done that I did do. And your word says, if I confess my sins, you're faithful and just to forgive me my sins and Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So know with assurance that your sins are forgiven. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to die on the cross for me, to pay the penalty for my sins, and to purchase a place for me in heaven so that I can spend eternity with you. And please, come, Holy Spirit, come and fill me with your power, 
with your encouragement, with your knowledge and wisdom, with your discernment, with your love, so that I can do the things that you have called me to do because I can't do them on my own. I'll fail every time. Come, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And if we, uh, if we um, think through those things, we've just uh, talked to God and started a relationship or restarted a relationship that had been lacking for some time. If you've made today the day that you did the restart of your relationship with Him, we'll have some people on either side here to pray with you at the close of the service. They would love to pray with you about that, to encourage you.